Let's take our Bibles and we're looking to the 10th chapter of Acts today as we're concluding this little mini-series we've been in. We've been calling it the Gospel Harvest and for a number of you, you're in our self-published curriculum in our life group and you're engaging more deeply uh, this morning in this, the final lesson. And today we're looking at the fascinating account of a man named Cornelius who is a Roman commander of the Italian regiment uh, among the military there, the empire. And by the end of the narrative, God miraculously saves him and frees him from sin and judgment. But he's doing more than that. He's extending that salvation to his entire household. Now that alone would be wondrous that God would save an individual and his household like that by faith. But God is doing even more. God is making it to be known that his kingdom door has swung wide open. And it's a kingdom that all people of nations are called to come into this kingdom. So he's opening the door wide for Gentiles to come into his glorious kingdom. So through Peter, uh, the Spirit of God is going to give marching orders for the church to go far and wide with the gospel message. To all nations. Now, if you remember, there's a key verse that begins this process. It's all the way back in the first chapter of Acts. It's verse 8. And it's a proclamation that is given to the followers of Christ. And he says to them, you will be my witnesses. And remember how this goes. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the whole world to the end of the earth. And as you watch the subsequent chapters in the book of Acts, you see that unfolding. In fact, a great spiritual awakening came there on the day of Pentecost as 3,000 people heard the gospel proclaimed by Peter and came to faith in Christ and the Spirit of God came upon them. It was just a, a wondrous event that took place in history and and those 3,000 began to communicate what God was doing in their life all around Jerusalem. And God's Spirit was just using those people and the disciples, the other followers of Christ. And really, Jerusalem was overtaken by the gospel. In fact, there were a number of priests and others who were coming to faith in Jesus. They had a rich history in the Old Testament scripture uh, they did not understand that Jesus was Messiah when he was present, but when he was resurrected and the Spirit of God began to empower people to communicate the gospel message, man, they came to faith in Christ. So it started in Jerusalem and then began to fan out among the other people, the other Jewish people in Judea, and then it moved to Samaria. Remember, we were talking a little bit about that last week where Philip the Evangelist, a witness by Peter and John, really had a tremendous impact on the Samaritans. And they were, they were the hated among the, the region, if you remember. They were the sort of the mongrels, the half-breeds that uh, did not follow God's command uh, to stay uh, married only to the Hebrew people. They, they went outside that and, and they accepted some other traditions and other religions. And they were just really looked down upon. But Philip went with the Spirit's command and proclaim the gospel to them and the Samaritans were coming to faith as well. And the Spirit of God came upon them and it's just a, an amazing event that took place. And now you see this last 
this last promise unto the end of the world. This is moving, and it's going to happen in, of all people, a Roman official in the military. And so we're going to dive into that text today. As, you're, as you read through the, the narrative, you're going to see that God is just doing an incredible thing. Now, Cornelius, as you know, was a Roman soldier, a regiment commander, and he worshipped God. Uh, he was a Jewish proselyte, which means he's a Gentile who has come to understanding about the Hebrew God, the God of the Bible, the Old Testament, and he's come to love him and worship him. And he takes on Judaism and begins to express the customs and the traditions and the, the laws to adapt those laws into his own life because he wants to draw near to God. Now, I want you to understand that you, you don't get salvation by works. You can do all those things and not have salvation, right? He's a worshiper of God and he's a generous giver, but he's still a sinner, distant from God. How in the world are you or me or Cornelius or anybody else going to clean up life enough that you could ever be in relationship with an absolute holy God? And if you could, which you can't, how would you ever overcome those sins that you've already committed? So he's like the rest of us. He's in need of God's mercy. He's in need of the gospel. And the Spirit of God is moving, going to bring the gospel to him uh, through Peter. He's going to communicate this gospel to him. So one day, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he's in prayer. And as he is in prayer, he has a vision of this angel who comes as a messenger of God to him. And he says, as Acts 10, verse 4 and 5 says, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. And you know what happened immediately? He sent two men to go get him. You, you go and do exactly what I'm commanding of you. I'm doing exactly what the messenger of God has commanded of me. Now, meanwhile, Peter is having a similar experience. Peter is up on the roof of a house. It's probably the cooler part uh, where that breeze might be blowing in. And he's also in prayer, but at the same time, he's waiting on dinner to be finished up. And uh, the combination of being in prayer and being hungry, uh, God gives him a message from the Holy Spirit. And I don't have time to go into that, but you might want to circle back to that in Acts chapter 10. But, you know, there's this vision of this sheet that comes down and there's all this food there. And the Holy Spirit says to him, get up, kill and eat. And he's like, no, 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 I've never, I've never eaten anything like that. All that is unclean. It's not for me. And you remember what the message was? Uh, what I call clean, you shouldn't call common. You shouldn't call it unclean. And because Peter is a lot like us, this thing has to happen three times before finally the command comes to him. This is more than about food. There's men coming to where you are, and when they come, you go with them. And God is going to begin to open up a great understanding for Peter and many other people. And, and it comes down to this, that the gospel is going to be for all people. Now, now, those people that the Jews thought were unclean and common, the gospel is for them. And aren't we grateful for that? Because you and I are that. You can't get more common than me. You can't get more sinful than me. You can't get anybody with more need of mercy and grace than me. And God came to me. 
not because I deserved it, but because he is a God of love and he seeks to save the lost. God came to me and he's coming to you. And some people in this room, some people are watching online right now or listening on the radio. God is, has come to you to proclaim his great mercy, his great love for you and his great gospel. So Peter's openness to share there with Cornelius is going to begin a revolution by Jewish standards. Because the Jewish people were against him being in dialogue with another Gentile. Certainly he should not be communicating God's word to him in his home. That, that is unheard of, that a Jew would go into the home of a Gentile. They weren't to associate with them. They certainly weren't to be entertained by them in their home. But God had clearly instructed Peter to do this because God was orchestrating a divine appointment in the home of that Gentile to hear and to respond to the gospel. What an amazing thing when God brings divine appointments into our lives. And he does that. He's continued to do that. Not just in that moment, but he's continued to do it from the generations that have passed throughout all the world God is still bringing divine appointments of his gospel message to people so Cornelius and his family they they hear they gather down they settle down and they are there to hear this gospel now if you have your Bibles you can watch it on the screen but there's nothing like you holding your Bible or me holding my Bible so let's look at Acts chapter 10 and I want to begin in verse 34 and just trail through to verse 43 so they're sitting down there they recognize that they are in the presence of God because God has brought them a messenger whose name is Peter uh, it's by divine appointment some of you are settling even now because God has brought to you a message from his messenger by his word and here it is all right I'm going to just reshare the words of Peter so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. If you're one to write in your Bible, you might just underline that first sentence. God shows no partiality. Man in a world that is divided and biased and prejudiced, it's good news for you and me. God shows no partiality. We, we believe that. We trust that. It's the reason why we're here. Because God is not biased against us. He's not biased for us. God shows no partiality. He, he is generous in his grace, mercy, love, forgiveness, his gospel. Truly, Peter says, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, you might just bracket that, put a star by that, because we're going to need to come back there. We need, to, we need to let that one settle into us. We need to understand what that means. We're going to talk about it in a minute. So as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourself know what happened throughout all Judea. Now, Peter's just going to begin recounting the life of Christ. And uh, here is the beginning from Galilee after the baptism of that John proclaimed, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And what is he saying to him there? Hey, everything that you've heard about Christ, all the miraculous work that you have heard about him, it was all true. 
And all of that was signifying that he is the authoritative one. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah just had been proclaimed and prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures and was evidenced in all those things. Verse 39, and we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Man, you'll hear that over and over and over throughout Acts as they would line up. Somebody's testifying and somebody is saying, and we are witnesses. They saw him. They saw his work. They saw his death. They saw his resurrection. They saw his ascension. And so they proclaim, we are his witnesses. You say, okay, Randy, what's the big deal about that? The big deal about that is those people who witness Christ in his power and in his death, in his burial and in his resurrection, in his ascension and heard his promise to return again, they gave their life bearing that witness. It wasn't like they were saying, oh, yeah, we've made this up. We're going along with it. You'll do that for a while until they put you in prison, till they strip everything away from you, till they hang you upside down on a cross, till they saw you in half. (laughs) Those guys saying we are witnesses, they're saying not only are we witnesses, we are so certain about what we witness, we will give our life for it to proclaim it. It's a great truth to hear them say that we were the witnesses of Christ. We are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not only to people, but to all us who have chosen by God as witnesses, who who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. They're just signifying people would recognize no spirit... I'll put it in our modern vernacular. No ghost eats food. So they're saying, not only did we see him, it wasn't his spirit. We ate with him. He ate substance with us. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I I won't take time, but in that moment, there's such belief and faith that that is being received and acknowledged in that moment. The Spirit of God falls down upon them. And Cornelius and all of his household were looking quickly where they might be baptized. Uh, What a great truth that is when you and I receive the gospel, the good news of Christ made new in Christ. We're looking immediately for the opportunity to bear witness of that, to be obedient to that. And those waters are the way that begins. Can I just step out here with you for a moment? Some of you have been holding back in your baptism and I have to ask why. Oh, I'm nervous. I'm scared, I'm embarrassed, let all that go. Let all that go. And with all the proclamation that you can give, proclaim to everybody in this room, Jesus is Lord. And be lowered into that water, be raised up out of that water and project your faith in a very public way. That's what Cornelius was doing, he and his family. So Peter shared the gospel message with those in that home. And though it's condensed, the outline is pretty simple. 
It's the same outline that he uses in multiple places. On that day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God descended and began to indwell people, Peter rose up to proclaim that message in which the gospel was heard and 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. It's the same outline that he uses right here that I just read to you. And when he stands up to give testimony to the Sanhedrin, it's the same outline. Now, sure, he'll add comments and he'll, he'll expand in certain places depending on the audience, but it's pretty much the same outline. And that outline is that Jesus lived his life and he died and he resurrected and he's going to return as judge and he calls people to faith. That, that's a good outline for us to think through. As Peter is just using that, he's hanging things on it, but that's the, the basic framework of this gospel message. And God just communicates truth through that simple outline. We've been encouraging you to consider having an outline that you can use in a skeletal way to communicate gospel truth. We've put a little acronym together, C-R-O-S-S. And we've asked you to commit that to memory so that in the moment... You sense the Spirit of God is working. You can just begin sharing with somebody. And the way you begin that is to talk first about the sea. Talk about the condition, the condition of the world, condition that they're experiencing, the condition that you are experiencing without Christ. And that condition is we are broken. We are sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. But then help them to recognize that there is a great rescuer that God has sent a rescuer to us for John three sixteen says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not have to perish but could have eternal life in Jesus Christ help them to recognize their brokenness their sin their need for rescue and that God has sent the rescuer and his name is Jesus Christ and help them to identify who Christ is because Christ is the overcomer Christ is the one who has overcome sin and death and the grave for Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture and he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Help them to recognize that Christ has overcome those things and he shares that glorious victory with us and if we'll but have faith in him we will be saved for if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And what will you be saved from? Sin, death, judgment. And can I just go as far as say a mundane life? God will give you a life of abundance because he will set you apart to a new life, a life filled with his abundance and his spirit and his righteousness and forever you will be changed for we were buried with him in baptism he's talking about immersing in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life so it's a simple outline that all of us can commit to memory and just share with people that's sort of what 
Peter was doing, he had an outline. It was a basic outline of the gospel. And then he began to expand in areas and help people to understand more fully where he felt it needed to be. Everybody needs to know the gospel, to trust the gospel, and to be able to communicate the gospel. It's not too much to ask that you know the gospel, believe the gospel, and communicate the gospel. And that was Peter's life, and you and I have been empowered to do that. For some of you, it comes so naturally. The Spirit of God just works in you. It's just part of who you are. You're constantly on the move, looking for people to evangelize, to share the good news about Jesus with. And for others of us, it's a struggle. But listen, the Spirit of God empowers us in every moment. And you might fumble with it. You might mumble in it, but I can tell you when you declare the word of God, it comes with power and authority and it will always hit its mark and never return back to God void. Just trust him. As you have memorized some verses and can communicate those verses that God will use those. Now I'm leading you all the way to that point to get you to three things that I want you to consider in today's text. Just simple truths, three simple truths. And the first is this, that God shows no partiality. And we should come to that conclusion, that God shows no partiality. Which means that he delivers justice to all without bias. That God is delivering justice to everyone without bias. Now, listen, this is a, this is a word that God has spoken in many different ways. Romans chapter 2, verse 12, For God shows no partiality, for all who have sinned without the law will perish also without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. In other words, God is unbiased. He is going to judge those who have sinned, and he is going to make everybody pay the penalty of that sin. You say, well, won't he show me favor? Not over somebody else. He's going to apply the same law and the same penalty of that law to everyone. And everyone has a wage of their sin. And you know what that wage is? You know what the penalty of our sin is? Clearly, the Bible says death, eternal separation from God, and a very literal place separated from him called hell. That's the truth, that God is presenting that and applying that without partiality. He's not showing favorites. He's not showing uh, aggression towards some and not to others. His justice is equal to all people. Now, it's going to shock some to discover that God does not favor. Listen to this. God does not favor the United States of America over other countries. That's a lie. If you thought that God favors us among all other countries, you have believed a lie. God's justice is against the people of America who are sinners, just like his justice is against anybody else in the world. We have sinned against a holy God, and his justice is without bias. Now, that's a truth, but hang on to this. His grace is also without bias. His grace is given... To all without partiality. I'm grateful to that. Now, here's what Jesus said. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, we should view and approach 
people with the notion that Jesus had, God wants everybody to hear his word. God wants everyone to hear and know the gospel. How many of you grew up in church all the way back from preschool? Just raise your hand. Yeah, I've been in church. I'm, I'm 56 years old. I've been in church 56 years plus nine months. How about you? Like, I, I've known nothing other than life in church. I'm grateful for that because the gospel was presented to me very early at an age. And if you grew up in the church in the preschool department, you have one song among all songs that you know. Somebody tell me what it is. Jesus loves the little children. I just thought you might want to sing that today. <laughs> Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. You can't get more simple than that, can you? But can you get more profound than that? I don't think so. Because that's the one truth that God wants us to recognize right here. Jesus loves the people of the world. And he's not biased in it. He's not prejudiced. He doesn't have partiality. He extends love to all the people of the world. He wants all people to come to know him. It's a simple truth, but profound. Man, I hope that song rings in our ears all this week and beyond. That Jesus loves the people of the world. Now, secondly... The Holy Spirit is working in people so that anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, if you're hearing that and there's a little bit of a check, that check is good. Because you, you have to recognize, okay, that sounds, if I take that and argue the point all the way through without understanding a broader range of verses, then I could go in a wrong direction here. Because Peter is not proposing universalism to us. He's not saying that anybody and everybody who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to God without the measure of the Spirit of God without the, the saving grace of, this, of the Son of God. He wants us to dial into the totality of this section because I think what he's saying here is that where there is a fear of God and where there is a longing to do what is right, you have the Spirit of God at work in the heart of that individual. And where the Spirit of God is at work, You've got to know that God is moving them to gospel truth. We, we know without, without any reservation, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is absolutely true and certain. For by grace you have been saved through faith, right? It, it's not of your own doing. It, it's not of your own works or my works. None of us are going to be able to boast about our salvation. It's completely God's gift of grace. 
But God does grant salvation to people in grace. He's not giving them salvation based on their attitude or their works, as you might assume Peter is saying. He's saying that God gives salvation generously to sinful people who fear him and do what's right. Because when they long for reverence for God and long for the righteous way of God, they have the Spirit of God already at work in their hearts. Now, if left alone, people are going to remain distant and disinterested from God. They'll remain in their sinful condition. Psalm 14 says it this way, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there is any who understands, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And that is such a profound truth that the Holy Spirit repeats that on two other occasions in the Bible, almost verbatim, word for word. In the Old Testament and the New Testament. So you and I come to a conclusion with the gospel in our heart and with the hope of transformation for others, we have conversations with people very purposeful to see if the Spirit of God is at work within them. And you will know that the Spirit of God is at work within somebody, priming them for the gospel, if he is helping them to have a fear of God and a longing for the righteousness of Christ. A longing for the righteousness of God's word. We should test to see if the spirit is moving in somebody. Have conversation with them. Spiritual conversations to discover and help them to acknowledge that the spirit of God is at work. And you know the spirit of God is at work if they have a fear of God, a reverence for God, and they have a longing to do what is right. Now, you might say, well, how do I know if a person has that? How about we ask them a very simple but personal question? You might start something like this. May I ask you a personal question? I've asked that question a number of times. I, I can't tell you how many times I've said that. Hey, may I ask you a personal question? And I've never had a single person say no to me. Now, some of them might say yes with hesitation, but they all say yes. May I ask you a personal question? Okay, sure. What do you think about God? And what do you think about the law of God? Now that question, what do you think about God and the law of God, will give you insight based on their answer, their fear of God, and their longing for the righteousness of God. And if you sense that, if you sense that they have a reverence for God, a fear of God, and they have a longing for the righteousness of God, I want you to hear the Spirit of God is already at work and He has primed their heart for the gospel. I'm in gospel conversation with an individual who has a healthy fear of God and who wants to do what's right. And I can tell you with all certainty that person is primed for the gospel. So every time I'm around that individual, guess what I'm talking about? I'm bringing up the topic of the gospel because the Spirit of God has already conditioned his heart. It's already ready. I'm just waiting for that harvest to come about. It's as if it is May, and I know that picking time is in June, and I'm just waiting for that harvest to come in. So, so have those conversations with people and use your acrostic, C-R-O-S-S, -S, and just see 
if the Spirit of God is ready to reap that harvest unto the glory of Christ. Now, finally, gospel proclaimers present a message of peace in Jesus Christ. All right, when we're presenting the gospel, we're not trying to change the world with different values and different morals and different laws. I'm not trying to sway somebody in their sexual immorality. I'm not trying to sway somebody in the way they treat other people. I've got one thing in mind. I want to know, will they die to self and be made new in Jesus Christ? Would they be willing to do that? Because if they'll be willing to die to self and be made new in Jesus Christ, he'll handle all the other stuff. He'll handle all that stuff that I would like to see corrected but can't correct. He will bring correction to all of that. Now, it's, it's up to me to help disciple them in God's word. But my, my total objective as a gospel presenter is to invite them to know the peace of God. If you're wanting somebody to change from their anger, really what you want is them to settle into the peace of God. And if you want somebody to walk away from their sexual sin, really what you want is them to have the peace of God. And if you want the brokenness in somebody's life to be corrected, really what you want is the peace of God to rule and reign in their life. Because when the peace of God rules and reigns, then my friends, wholeness comes. So gospel proclaimers have one objective. Can I communicate God's truth so that they will come to faith in Christ and have the peace of God. Now, the peace of God comes only by faith in Jesus Christ. You might say, why? I've, I've given you several verses there in your handout. Let me just move through them real quick. First of all, you and I and all the world is in need of peace because Romans 3.23, our condition that we talk about in cross is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no peace when you fall short of God's glory. And the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we recognize that peace will come through Christ Jesus as a free gift. Or Romans 4, 25 and 5, 1. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Bingo, that's it right there. That's where we're coming to faith in Christ. And we have peace with God. So Peter came to Cornelius' house in order to bring the peace of God through the gospel message. He shared with him about Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. He shared with him that he's coming to judge again and he invites them to faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ. And he says in Acts 10, 43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness in his name. You know what he's doing right there? He's calling the question. If you're a salesperson, he's closing the deal. He's communicated the gospel. He's talked about who Jesus is, and now he's calling him to faith. Everybody who believes. In other words, Cornelius, if you believe and your household believes, then you too can have saving faith. Now, that's good news because sometimes we think, well, what I need to do first is clean up my life. What I need to do first is get rid of this addiction. What I need to do is get my life in order. I need to clean up my mouth. I need to stop doing this, start doing that. No, no, no. 
Here's what the Word of God says. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That's a hallelujah moment when we recognize that. See, friends, hearing and knowing the gospel isn't enough. Hearing and knowing the gospel is not enough to be saved. People, like Cornelius and others, need to know how to appropriate this gospel truth. How do you appropriate the forgiveness of sins? And how do you appropriate deliverance from holy judgment? And Peter is helping him to know how to appropriate that. And you appropriate it by faith. By faith. That's the acting agent. By faith, this comes about. That's the central theme of Peter's message. It's always the same. Salvation comes through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And so he's inviting them to come in faith, and they do. Now listen, Christ is either going to be deliverer or judge in your life. And in this season, God is saying to you, which will he be in your life? He's going to be either deliverer or judge, and he will be unbiased in both applications. If he's judge, he is without partiality. He will apply his law and the execution of justice without bias. And if he is deliverer in your life, he does it without partiality. He is extending his grace through this great gospel proclamation to the ends of the earth. He's doing that. Which one will it be for you? This is the day to choose. He will either be judge or deliverer. And this is the day that you must say which one he will be. Now, if he is your deliverer, then you and I need to make certain and conclude that our purpose is to proclaim this good news of peace to all people. That's the reason why he says in Acts 10, 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So there's the two-part call. For some of you, it is God is your judge in Christ Jesus, but he is offering to be your deliverer. And he's saying to you, won't you come to faith in Christ? Receive his deliverance. Receive his salvation. Yield your life. Repent of your ways. And come to faith in Christ. Let him be your deliverer by faith. And for those of us who have him as our deliverer, let it be that we are his witnesses. We are his messengers proclaiming his word, extending it without bias. To God be the glory for both decisions. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the gospel and Jesus bringing it about in a wondrous, perfected way. We thank you for the extension that the Spirit of God is ministering all over the world and in this room and those who are listening to this message. Thank you for that. Thank you for reaching out to people who are so desperate like me when I was just a boy in 1973. I'm so thankful for that, and Lord, we receive it by faith. 
We acknowledge that you alone are Lord and we want to live our life under you. We will be your servants. You will be our master because you are Lord of all. So we forsake all others. We renounce the sin of our life and we confess it to you. And we say, oh God, we want to have great reverence and fear of you that is holy. And we want to do what is right. So work in us. Recreate us to be new from above. Let the old pass away and everything become new in Christ Jesus. Our faith is that you alone through him will do that. And Lord, let us be proclaimers of truth with great, great expansion of your gospel. To people both far and near, let us be proclaimers. And let your word hit its mark, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.